neighbor and say, it's going to be a beautiful day. And so um, we're going to be covering some, uh, what I consider to be technical information about probate and uh, the, the ins and outs of probate. And we're going to have our expert speakers up here to talk about that. Uh, so I'll introduce them in a moment. But i got a couple of housekeeping items. Um, how many people in the room are new to this group? First time you've attended the Truth Series. Raise your hand high. Yay! Give them a hand. Awesome. Welcome. I love it. Um, you guys were here at 9 o'clock this morning to make sure you could find the place. I appreciate that so much because it is kind of hard to find the first time which entrance to come in and all that. Uh, a lot of doors. Yeah, a lot of doors. And so we're glad you're here. My name is Nikki Buckaloo and I'm one of the hosts and one of the education partners along with our partners that you have tables back here and I'll talk about them in a minute. And uh, my husband Chris back here in the back running the audio equipment and then we have people at home watching too so hi everybody at home so we have about 40 or 50 people that have opted to watch from a virtual distance which is great so we're glad to have them so a couple of really quick fun announcements um, today is my father-in-law and mother-in-law's 54th wedding anniversary isn't that awesome yeah I don't know where he went, he disappeared on me, but I, earlier I said, happy anniversary. I said, are you going to stick around? And he said, well, that's up to her. Right? Jim, come in here. Come in here. I know you're working. Everybody said, happy anniversary to you. Yes. Okay, does anybody know the anniversary song? Do you know there is an anniversary song? None of you are Kiwanians? Okay, so I'm going to sing it. Are you ready? Happy anniversary, happy anniversary to you. Many long years may you be together, making your dreams come true. <laughs> The group would sing happy birthday and then they would sing happy anniversary in the same tune. And it was ridiculous. And one of the guys came in one day and he said, there's actually a song for anniversaries. And they, he taught it to us and then we began to sing it uh, at their anniversaries. And so I've kept that in my mind all these years. So there you go, Jim. You can take it home, sing to Wanda. Okay? All right. Um, I also have a, a special uh, celebrity in the room, uh, Jerry Pinkston. Raise your hand, Jerry. Wave at everybody. She's, I knew she knew I was going to do this. And Jerry is being honored uh, by, <laughs> believe it or not, she is having a stadium named after her. The UCO Women's Softball Stadium will be named after Jerry Pinkston uh, sometime in October. Yeah, they're going to do the, uh, the, the honorary ceremony. And she's a Hall of Fame coach. And when they decided to do this, they said, we'd like to name that after you. Is that awesome? Give her a hand. Yeah. And she's a great golfer, I understand. So that's cool, too. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it's the interesting things that we do in life, we have no idea where they're going to end up, right? We, you just did a job, right? You did what you loved and you enjoyed it, and then now it's kind of coming back full circle. How cool is that? Um, and then uh, just a couple of uh, fun little things. Paul Sanders, where are you at, Paul? Wave, Paul, back in the back, far right corner. Uh, Paul has a pair of socks on today. When you leave, you need to see Paul. He's got a pair of socks on with little crabs on them. They're knee socks. And he mixes and matches his socks with his clothes. And, and I always love it. So he's got a shirt that he found that has a little crab on it. He's got socks that match his little crab. He has 160 pairs of decorative socks. And he told me he went to Home Depot recently and got some of those plastic uh, Rubbermaid containers where you can see, and he situated them so he could see every pair so that when he looked in his drawer, he would know which ones he needed to wear that day. So, uh, guys, if you're looking for somebody to help you organize your drawers or closets, Paul is for hire. All right? And, uh, and then one little last piece of housekeeping. On your table, there is a flyer for Shred Day. Some of you have been asking about Shred Day. And uh, we have put together another Shred Day coming up uh, just here in a couple weeks. And for those of you who have been there before, it is in a different location. So don't go to the same location in the past. Make sure you look at the address. It's, uh, it's at the corner of 122nd and May Avenue in Bradley Square is where our real estate office is. And we're going to have it there in that parking lot. And you'll just drive through. You can just put it in your trunk or the back seat of your car. You'll drive through. We'll take it out and, and they'll shred it right there on site in the truck. They don't just dump it in the truck. They shred it right there. You can watch them if you want. Boxes, bags, doesn't matter. Staples are fine. Paper clips are fine. Just dump it all in there. They will take your boxes away as well if you don't want them or you can keep them and take them home with you. So um, just come over and, and the time is on there. You don't have to make a reservation or anything. Just come on in. We're going to have plenty of space. So if your neighbor has shred stuff or your friends, tell them about it. We're happy to have them. Okay? All right, Chris, I'm a little bit scratchy, I think. Is there anything I can do about that? No? Okay. Down. All right, we'll try that. I'm breathing too heavy. I'm out of shape. All right, so we're going to dive into our topic today. Um, bring on up, welcome Curtis and Jennifer. Come on up. Give them a hand. sure your mics are on. I'll have them introduce themselves. You guys met that one on Curtis this one yesterday. So, yeah, pull up a chair. All right, so those of you who have uh, come to seminars in the past have heard us talk about probate. Uh, we've, we've talked about trust, we've talked about wills, we've talked about all these things at some level. Today we're kind of focusing the attention mainly on homeownership. I can't sit. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, so mainly we've talked about homeownership, and, uh, or, I'm sorry, today we're mainly going to talk about homeownership as it relates to probate, but also the wider topic as well. So I'm going to have these guys introduce themselves, tell them who you are, what you do, and kind of what your experience is with this topic, okay? Okay. Sure. I am Jennifer Wright. I'm closer. Okay. Can you hear me now? All right. My name is Jennifer Wright. I'm an attorney with Baltimore Slow Law Firm in Oklahoma City. We also have an office in Norman. And I focus my practice in estate planning and probate and adult guardianships. So I tell people I spend half my time uh, with people 
like you who are planners planning in advance and then the other half of my time I spend with families whose loved ones maybe didn't do that planning and that's when we're in probate and guardianship and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you. My name is Curtis Kane. Uh, I'm senior trust officer with Harvest Bank, so I manage trusts and probate estates. Um, <clears throat> before I got into the wealth management world, I, I began my working career here in Oklahoma City, where I'm born and raised, working for the FDIC, managing real estate and buying and selling real, not buying, but disposing real estate for the FDIC. Um, moved on to be a real estate specialist, handled really large, um, property throughout the country. I think at last count, I probably handled property in about 28 different states. Um, moved, migrated to New England for about 10 years, uh, worked for a trust company managing all trust-owned real estate, so uh, real estate that was acquired through trust or through probates, um, and then made my way back here where I'm just sort of the general trust officer handling all issues, trust and probate related. Jeez, Curtis, I didn't know we had a very big resume. That in one breath. You did. That was awesome. Yeah. And he just came back from uh, the beach. Yeah, you want to see my tan line? No, I can see it. Your face is very tan already. Curtis also brought us a fun. Curtis, you want me to show that right now? Or if you have a time, you want to talk about that little fun cartoon? No, show it. Yeah. I, I, it's my one contribution today. Alright, so it's Curtis family Where'd you find this, Curtis? I was in San Francisco for a trip with my vacation trip with my wife, a little uh, uh, anniversary trip to San Francisco. And I got up and during my uh, early morning hours read their local paper, and this was a, a cartoon that was in the paper written by a local um, comedian, artist. It says, when planning your will, spring for a proofreader. It's a good investment. It says, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Henry wanted to be cremated. True, but he wrote creamed, and the document is binding. So we're going to cream Henry instead of cremating. Well, there's, you know, there's humor in that, but there's also a serious note to that, and Jennifer and I are going to talk about that a little bit. I mean, when you, when you sign a will or anything you sign, you know, how often do we sign things without reading them? And how often do we sign things without understanding them? So, Anyway, that, there was a, a serious side of that, but I always thought that was pretty funny. And in fact, I, I have it framed over here because I wanted it so much that I contacted the, the, the owner, the artist, and he not only gave me the, the sell, but a really nice note. So I keep that in my office, and sometimes I point to that as a reminder to people. Right. You don't want to be creamed, right? You want to be cremated. Okay, good. Proofreader note. Okay, so first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about some basics. Now, you guys have a handout at your table, and we're not necessarily following that handout like verbatim, but anything that we talk about is probably going to be in that handout. So you don't have to take copious notes. You can kind of just you know reference that later. So I'm going to walk them through a series of questions. And then what we'll do is when we kind of wrap up the big topics, then you guys have the opportunity to ask questions like you always do at the end. So just make notes about your questions. And we'll take those questions as we kind of come to a conclusion. All right. So Jennifer, I'm going to start with you. And I want you to just kind of give us a broad perspective of like what is a probate what is is it a probate or is it probate that's my first people say well do we have to do a probate or do we have to probate isn't that interesting it's just what's what's the correct usage and then what is it okay so the word probate actually means to prove and the probate process um so i would probably say it's not a probate it's um you know that we're going to probate yes 
uh, is the process of proving who the heirs are and if there's a will, then we're proving the will. So you can have several different types of probate, but basically there's either you're probating with a will or without a will. So sometimes I get questions from people who say, well, I've got a will, so I don't have to go to probate, and that's actually incorrect. Um, and you know, we'll probably talk in more detail. So whether you need a probate or not is another question. So. It is possible to avoid probate, but in general, if you have assets that are titled just in your name at your death, then those assets would likely have to go through that probate process, either you know with your will or without a will. Okay, so, so talk to me a little bit about what, what, why is it, why did probate become a thing? What is, what's the importance of it? Like, what's the overall, when someone says, well, what's the purpose of this? What is the purpose of it? Um, basically, it's to help ensure that uh, the assets get distributed to the people that who are entitled to them. So our statutes have a probate code that sets forth all of the rules for that process. And most of those rules are to help in, ensure that there's not any type of fraud and that, like I said, that the, the assets are going to go to who is entitled to them, whether that's the people that are named as beneficiaries under the will, or if there's no will, um, our state statute says who the assets are going to go to. And the, the court's job is to oversee and make sure that those assets end up in those the hands of the people that are supposed to get them. So a bit, I'm a little bit curious about, is it also to protect creditors? I mean, is that any part of it or? Yes, so um, you know, part of the pro probate process is that you have to publish a notice to creditors and send notice out to any creditors. So they have an opportunity to make a claim against the assets in the estate and if they present a valid claim, then they would get to be paid out of the assets in this estate before it can be distributed. Okay, so why would someone want to avoid probate? Where to start with that? Why would you want to avoid it if you could? Sure. Um, really, for me, anytime that you're stepping foot into the courthouse, you're putting the decisions into somebody else's hands, whether that's a jury in a civil or criminal case or you know the judge in the case of the probate um, you're handing those decisions to somebody else so if you want to be in control of what happens to your assets then it's good to do the planning in advance so you're avoiding that process probate is time-consuming um, and so a typical probate that runs smoothly where we don't have uh, any issues that come up um, would take a minimum of about six months to complete from start to finish. And so when you hear people say, well, it's tied up in probate, that's what they're referring to, is we have to go through this process. You have to get permission from the judge before you can sell any property. Um, so in the real estate world, that's a big thing. Um, even before you can list a house for sale, you have to have authorization from the court, somebody has to be appointed as a personal representative, and that can take you know a month or two to get to court to get that 
initial hearing date to get somebody appointed. Um, so it can be a lengthy, time-consuming, and costly process to go through. Um, so that's right. So uh, Curtis, I'm going to just ask you real quick, since you guys manage trusts, those are usually created by people who, for, for one reason or the other, maybe want to avoid probate. That's one of the reasons people might create a trust. Uh, does creating a trust completely help someone avoid probate, or are sometimes people with trust still have to go through that probate process? If the intent, if the, if the, if the intent of the estate plan in forming a trust is to avoid probate, then you hope that that's going to be effective in doing that. Now, there are certain really limitless things you could do wrong that would cause you to still have assets outside of the trust that would be subject to probate, and that's, that's unfortunate. Um, because the idea when you're doing a trust um, with, the, with, among any other goals, one of the goals being to avoid uh, probate, if you fail to do that, then you fail to do that, right? So you've, you've not accomplished everything that you've tried to do, and we see that, and I can, you know, spend the day talking about examples of that. Um. So just just to be clear, just because you created a trust doesn't mean that you are going to avoid probate, but if the trust was done correctly, ideally you would avoid probate. Is that what I understand? It's not just the trust, but the things that follow the formation of the trust, the funding of the trust, making sure the titles are changed, make sure accounts are properly identified, making sure um, if appropriate, you've made uh, beneficiary designations. We call it the funding process. You've got to make sure that you have a complete uh, inventory of all your assets, your personal estate that you're trying to fund into your trust estate. And if anything's left hanging, then you've got something that could potentially be subject to probate. Now, Jennifer's going to talk at some point about different varieties of probate, which, which can like, soften the blow. but. In the end, if you if you leave, if you don't do it all the way it's supposed to be done, then conceptually you could still have a probate, even though your intent was not to have that. Yeah, and I, you know, guys, I'll tell you, you know, you know, we're very particular about who we put in front of the room, right? And there's a reason for that because we've had attorneys that uh, have been we've been introduced to by clients or or people that we know that have handled a either development of a trust or the, the retirement plan who have had problems because that person was not very skilled at it and then we've also had attorneys that have been helping a client through the probate process who had no idea how the probate, pro probate process worked it was a friend of the family or whatever and just because they were an attorney they said oh I can do it for you and so we we have worked with Jennifer and her team as well as other attorneys that you all have met in the past but we have basically two attorneys, Jennifer being one of them, that we feel so strongly about that those are the two go-to people that we have because they have to fix the screw-ups of the people that are out there doing it that probably shouldn't be doing it, right? It's not their area of expertise. They may be really good at, at their area of expertise, but they probably shouldn't be doing this. So, you know, I'm just going to say, I speak the truth here, right? It'd be like me going out and trying to sell you know, the uh, downtown high-rise commercial buildings. I'm a real estate agent, I can do that, but it wouldn't be in anybody's best interest for me to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think we can all, I'm, I'm kind of an analogy guy, and if you, I'm sure I've said this up here before, but I use a medical analogy. You know, if you blow out a knee, you're not going to a dentist. 
right? But you know, he's he's been to school, or, or if you bought out an E, you're not going to an E and T. He's still an MD, but doesn't mean that needs to be that, that should be the person working on your knee. So if you get someone who tries to take a stab at doing your estate plan, doesn't make them a bad attorney. It just means they're swimming in the wrong pool. That's the case most of the time, yeah. I'm not handling divorce cases or <laughs> criminal law cases, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you refer those out. Exactly. You stay in your lane. Yeah. All right. So Jennifer, let's talk about the nitty gritty of probate. Okay. So you, you mentioned earlier there are different types. So which one do you want to start with? Um, well, we can just talk about the regular probate process first. Um, so, and Oklahoma is a little bit different than other states. So every state statutes are different. Attorneys you know, have to be licensed in the state that they're practicing in. Um, so I'm an Oklahoma licensed attorney. I'm not licensed in any other states, but um, because we're so close to Texas, I know how Texas probate code works in general. In Texas, the court doesn't supervise their probate process most of the time. Um, somebody can get appointed as a personal representative and then they can just go take care of things independently. It's called an independent administration. We don't do that in Oklahoma. So our court is going to supervise the process from start to finish, which is what I mentioned. If you need to sell property, we have to go to the judge and get permission to do that. We have to publish notices. It is definitely a process. And um, there are you know deadlines of when things have to be mailed and published within certain timeframes. And it's all set out in our statute, but if you're not familiar with our probate code and those rules, um, then you know you can run into trouble. So if you don't publish in the right time frame or mail your notices in the right time frame, you may have to go back to the beginning and, and start over. And that's what these lovely title companies will find when they are getting the house ready for sale. And they'll say, well, this wasn't done correctly, and so we're having to start over. So it's important to know what those rules are. For the typical probate, um, you will file your petition, and if there's a will, you file the will with the petition. You get your initial hearing date, which is typically about 30 days from the date that you file your petition. And then at that hearing, the court will appoint the personal representative of the estate and determine who the heirs are. Okay, and so this is assuming there's nobody contesting anything. Okay, so how, I'm curious about that personal representative process. How does the court decide who that's going to be? Sure. So if there's a will, the will should say who the deceased person wanted to be their personal representative. So whether that's their spouse or a child, or it could even be our best bank or another you know, corporate um, fiduciary in that role. So the court would look to that first, and so that is who is going to have priority to serve. That person can waive their right to serve, and then it would go to the next person in line. If there's not a will, our statute says who has priority to serve, and it's, you know, the spouse is first. If there's not a spouse, it's going to go to the children, and so on. Um, so, you know, and generally, that's how it works. A person can serve as personal representative so long as they haven't been convicted of a felony. So that's important to know. Um, I ask that every time, no matter you know what prejudgments I may have, I ask because I learned the hard way that 
you know, one time I didn't ask and found out that the person had a felony conviction a long time ago, but the rules are very clear. So um, that's one of those rules. So in general, that's how it works. Sometimes we have competing people that both want to be personal representative, and those are things that are going to cause delays in the process um, when we have to have contested hearings and have the judge make that decision. It's just going to push those dates out farther and farther. And, so. and I would assume it'll push the expenses up too, because at that point yes. your attorney has got now more time invested in that, having to figure out just from the get-go who's going to be the personal representative. Right, yeah. It's, it's going to eat up a lot of time. Um, but again, if we get somebody appointed at that first hearing, and I would say most of the time that's what happens, um, then we will issue our notice to creditors. Um, creditors have 60 days to file a claim. If we know who the creditors are, we're required to send them a letter notifying them of the probate and that they have a certain time frame to file their claim. Um, and then we have to publish that in the newspaper. So. Uh, then that's kind of the waiting period, you know, during that time, and the personal representative is gathering information about the assets. If there are bank accounts and things like that, they can move those accounts into an estate account. And then if we need to sell property, that's when we would be asking the court for authorization to sell the property. Um, and then, and you know, I can go, can we talk about that process? Yeah, and I want to be specific about this because I think people may wonder, like, why is it important that the real estate be approved to be sold? And how important, by the way, the attorney that you have involved in this, how important they are to this process? Because as your real estate agent, if we're your person representing you, we have to rely on that attorney to do this, right? We can't do it ourselves. Well, so. If, let's say someone, um, there's there's care involved, right? Let's say that there's care involved, that there's a, for whatever reason, someone is trying to utilize the sale of that property to for the care of a loved one, right? And they're needing to get that asset sold for the equity in that property, and it's time is of the essence for them. And so the unfortunate part is we've had people that have had to push it out, push it out, push it out, and all the attorney had to do was, um, I'll let the attorney tell you what they had to do. So uh, to sell property in a probate, uh, what what we have to do is if, if we can get all of the people who are the what's considered the heirs at law, and again, that will be defined in the statute, as well as if there's a will, you have to get authorization from all of the beneficiaries in the will. If everybody will agree to sign a waiver saying that it's okay for the personal representative to sell this property, the process is pretty easy. So we get waivers signed by everybody and then we file an application with the court for sale and the court will sign an order. Um, there's an extra filing fee you have to pay for that um, and we call that a 239 sale. So it's referring to section 239 of our probate code. Um, so if we can't get waivers uh, signed by everybody for one reason or another, I've had this come up because the um, beneficiary was incapacitated. So he wasn't able to sign and he didn't have a guardian appointed for him at that point in time. 
So that process is a lot more lengthy. You have to file a petition with the court for sale property, set it for a hearing date, publish notice of that hearing in the newspaper, and then you go to court, get your order, then you can list the house for sale at that point. And then once you get a contract, you have to go back to court and get the sale confirmed. And you could, could have people show up on the date of the hearing and try and outbid you. Um, so that hasn't happened to me, but I've heard, I've heard other attorneys tell stories. So um, again, so going back to just uh, the, I mentioned the attorney and how important is the attorney understand the process. The, the real estate agent also has to understand the process and be able to inform the, the concerned parties as to the process because just because we understand the process doesn't mean that people purchasing it or selling it understand the process. So again, uh, it's not usually very complicated. There are those ones though that do get complicated, particularly if you've got five kids, they're all heirs, and uh, one is named the personal representative and they don't like the price that the personal representative wants to sell the house for, guess what? We're all going to have a big conversation, right? Right. Yeah, and so they, you know, they could potentially come to court and argue their case um, about the price, and you know, potentially blow up your your contract. So the other important thing on the real estate side for those contracts where we have to get confirmation of the sale is that the contract needs to say that it's contingent on court approval, so that the buyers understand that this is a process. So um, I will say that I've been doing this for a quite a long time um, and I've only had to go through that process one time in all my years of probate. I've always been able to get the beneficiaries to agree to sign waivers um, and it makes it so much easier on everyone if you go that way. And I think they understand that even if they don't get along with each other, if they understand that in the end it's going to save them money, um, that they'll agree to sign that waiver. Yeah. Well, most of the time. Right. Right. Some people just don't sign it just because they don't have to. That is interesting. Okay. So let's. So regular probate. That's what we've been talking about. Okay. So there's something else you mentioned that's uh, a couple of things: probate with a will and probate without a will. So do you want to talk about that first, or is it better to talk about the uh, summary probate process first? Sure, we can talk about that. Um, the process with a will and without a will is essentially the same. The difference is at the end as far as who's getting the assets. So, um, and there is a little bit of difference with the sale process. So if you have a will, your will may give your personal representative the power of sale, which means you get to skip part of that process I just mentioned. So you can go ahead and sell the property. You don't have to get permission from the court um, for that, for published notice, but you would still have to get that sale confirmed by the court if you have that power. Um, so at the end of the probate process, after our notice to creditors has run and we've got our claims that we need to pay, if there are assets to pay those claims, you can, the personal representative can pay those claims as long as they've been approved by the personal representative in the court. And then you can get ready to distribute the estate. So um, you can't just do that. Again, you have to file something with the court, get a hearing, and then get authorization to distribute the assets. If there's a will, the will is gonna say how those get distributed. 
if there's not a will, it's going to go according to our Oklahoma statutes. And so this is something that surprises people in our Oklahoma statutes. Am I getting ahead of myself? No, you're good. I was just going to reference, so that's what they have in their handout. Okay. As you go through it, if you're curious about what she's talking about, it's on your second page of your handout under uh, probate and the will. Probate with a will and probate without a will, those first set of bullet points uh, down there are what she's getting ready to be talking about. Okay. Yeah, so essentially if you are, and it, the statute goes through a bunch of different scenarios, so it depends on if you're married or not married, if you're married and you have children, if those children are all of your joint children, or if you have children from a prior marriage, so all those things factor in. But in general, you know, one thing that surprises people the most, I think, is if you are married and let's say you and your spouse have two children together um, and you're, one of you dies without a will, what our statute says is that half of your assets go to your spouse and the other half go to your children. And I think that surprises a lot of people because you would assume if you're married, everything's going to your surviving spouse, but that's not what the statute says. And so, um, you know, that can be hard to hear okay. when I've had conversations with clients. I want to make sure everybody heard it this time. So let me make sure I heard it. So if I passed, let's say Chris and I, we have kids, I passed away without a will. What you're saying is, depending on how our house is deeded, right? Right. My kids could get half of my assets shared with half of him. Right. You think yes. he would be ticked about that, I'm afraid. Uh, my kids would be elated, but I'm afraid that would be very upsetting to him. So, okay, so note to self, one good reason to have, at the very least, a will, yeah? Does that make sense? I mean, that's what I'm hearing you say. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. And then what and so, you know, another scenario, we actually have a case like this right now where um, this is a woman from Texas. So their estate was probated in Texas. In Texas, as a spouse, she gets everything. Well, they had Oklahoma real estate. And so Oklahoma law applies to that real estate. And they, so you have to probate in both states. So she had to probate it in Texas and Oklahoma. And so we had to break the news to her that Oklahoma law doesn't say everything goes to the spouse and they didn't have kids. He has siblings and his siblings are gonna get two thirds of the Oklahoma property and she's only gonna get one third. So it's, it's not a good result. So just, it's interesting that you're bringing that up. It wasn't long ago I sat with someone having a downsizing consultation and I can tell, like I can usually tell that there's something that someone's not telling me, right? Like they're, it's weighing heavy on them but it's not coming out. And I finally just asked, you know, what is it that you're not telling me? And she got really teary-eyed and she told me a similar story and she said, you know, I thought that I would have this house would be mine to be able to, um, <laughs> utilize for my, my care in my older years and as it turns out I don't get all of it and I was I, of course I was shocked I'm like why wouldn't you get all of it and then she told me why and I was mortified like I couldn't imagine her grief right so not only was she grieving she was angry as heck at her deceased spouse because 
he left her in a position that, unfortunately, I don't know that they prepared for it, or he, he probably had no idea, would be my guess. I can't imagine him doing that intentionally, but. Um, so yeah, it affects people. Uh, I want to just really quick, before we go to the summary uh, probate, I want to ask Curtis, uh, you have talked in the past on previous panels about how people have uh, had oil royalties or oil mineral mineral interests and things like that in multiple states that you find out about that are outside the trust sometimes even. So even as a trust manager, you guys are having to probate property or probate assets. I don't know, what do you call it? Property or assets when it's a mineral interest? It's property. It's still property, okay. So what happens in that case? Well, you're talking about having ancillary probate. So you could conceivably be living in Oklahoma but have, I have a client who passed away and he owned, he, he indirectly owned property in, in uh, North Dakota, New Mexico, Colorado, um, Texas, and Oklahoma. Had the good sense to form a, a trust uh, to, to hold all those, but occasionally you might have what's, you know, in the, in the mineral world, I don't know if everybody's familiar with the world of mineral ownership and things like that, but they had some unproductive minerals that just, you didn't have checks coming in even annually, so they kind of forgot about them. Um, and those are the ones that might slip through the cracks and then you find out that uh, even though you might think it's not real valuable property, um, it's going to need to be probated or, and, and Jennifer will talk about different avenues you have in terms of the, the size of the probate, but you conceivably are going to have probates in, in multiple states, which is compounding the problem and the expense and the tedium and the time involved in getting your estate settled. Yeah, so I've had people say, well, I don't have much. I don't have much, so I shouldn't have to probate if I don't really have much. I don't own a house. I don't own my car. My car isn't worth very much, or I don't have a lot in savings. It's in an IRA. Um, so what happens if someone doesn't have much in, in the world of probate? What is considered much? <laughs> sure. So um, there are some options to avoid probate, and this is, you know, when we get a call from a potential client, we go over this information and see, you know, what what will be the best avenue and, the, you know, the easiest and most cost-effective way to handle the estate. So in Oklahoma, we have a couple different things um, that are helpful. One is a small estate affidavit. So if there are assets that are under $50,000 um, that aren't real property, so your house, uh, lot you own somewhere, mineral rights, those are all real property. So this won't work for those assets. This is really works well for a small bank account, okay? Or maybe some stock that you, the person forgot that they had. Um, we can use a small estate affidavit. And sometimes those companies will tell the person, you have to go to probate, but then when we talk, we find out you really don't. So the small estate affidavit will work if the assets are under 50,000 and if there's no debt. So on the affidavit, you're attesting that there is no debt and that all the taxes have been paid. If you can't say that, then you can't sign that affidavit. If you do, it's actually a crime, and the statute tells you what the penalty is um, for that. So, you know, we won't help people that want to use that affidavit to get around the statute. So, we have probated estates less than 50000 because there are creditors in 
that's the route that we have to go according to the law. But if we can help them with an affidavit, we'll do that. And you know, those are pretty inexpensive. We usually charge around $500 to prepare that for the client um, to get access to the bank account or whatnot. Then we have a summary administration probate, which is a shortened probate procedure. So that basically skips the first hearing. So you just have one hearing and our statutes tell you in what cases you can do this summary administration. So if the person has been deceased for more than five years, you can do a summary administration probate. If they were a resident of another state at the time of their death, but had property in Oklahoma, then we can do a summary administration. When mineral rights, that's when we do these the most, um, summary administration, because maybe they lived in California, but they had mineral rights in Oklahoma. Um, our office does a lot of these probates. Um, and then the, the other category is if the assets are under $200,000, you can do a summary administration probate. But I will say, we, you know, I'll talk to people, and they may fall under that $200,000 threshold, and I'll say, I'm not gonna file it as a summary administration probate, because there are either creditors involved, there are, um, you know, there may be an heir that's going to contest something. There's some complication that summary administration process won't work well, and you'll end up spending more time and money than you would if you just filed it as a regular probate. Um, to begin with. So the most common scenario with the summary administration is if we're probating mineral rights or you know maybe a bank account or something that's under 200,000. Yeah. Curtis, were you wanting to add to that? Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> Another thing on the real estate side in the summary administration process you cannot sell real estate within that process because you're not appointed as a personal representative. You are a, what's called a special administrator in that process. And the statute doesn't give the special administrator the power to sell assets. Okay, so Chris came up before the meeting and was talking with Jennifer and, and we were talking about summary probate. And I don't know why, but Chris goes, now you're going to tell them that they can't sell property in a summary probate process, right? Like, so that makes sense come up for us, right? So again, it, this goes back to people who are trying to do this without, probably without either legal counsel, uh, they're trying to do it on their own, they're, inter they're researching it on the internet, they haven't gotten all the facts or whatever the case is, um, and it delays the process. So, all right, so a couple of things real quick. I want to make a clarification on your handout because um, I did this last minute and bless Jennifer's heart. She uh, looked at it for me to make sure we were on track. Under summary probate, under the page, the second page, it says summary probate about in the middle. Underneath that, you'll see the second bullet point that says small estate affidavit. That is a separate issue. Just cross it out and write it somewhere else and know that that does not, what she just described to you is the summary probate and the small estate affidavit, two different things. The small estate affidavit is the $50,000 or under, and the summary probate is the $200,000 or under if there's not complications, right? Yes. Okay, right. 
Okay, so now let's talk about, we, we talked about what probate is, what it does, how it works, right? Now let's talk about how to avoid it. Okay, so some of the, and, and I want to just address this too for this audience because there's, there's a mixture of reasons there's a mixture of reasons why you might want to avoid it. Some of you are thinking, I want, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be passed, and somebody else is going to be dealing with this. You may want to help them avoid it. But if you have someone else in your life, a parent or a, or a sister or brother or someone that has said, I want you to handle my affairs, you may be looking at it from a consultative perspective. How do I help myself avoid it when my friend, my neighbor, my aunt, uncle, whoever it is, passes. So just be thinking, you have two hats here when you're listening to this um, conversation, and it, it may be different for each person, right? All right, so what would you say, Jennifer, where would you like to start on the avoidance part? Okay, well, we can talk about this as like a good, better, best plan, okay? So a good plan to avoid probate is making sure that all of your assets you either own them in joint tenancy with your spouse or you've named a beneficiary on them. Um, so that's one plan. You can avoid probate if, if all of your assets have a designated beneficiary or a joint owner and there is absolutely nothing but you know would just be in your name at your death, you can avoid probate that way. Um, that's only a good plan, it's not a great plan because so many things can happen, right? If you've got a beneficiary on there, if that person passes away, then we're back in, in the probate scenario again. Um, for real estate in Oklahoma, we do have a transfer on death deed. So you can actually name a beneficiary for your house. Now we even have a transfer on death designation for cars through the tax commission. So you, yes, and bank accounts can do that too. So you can designate a beneficiary on um, just about everything. The catch with real estate is that with this transfer on death deed, you can name a beneficiary for your house, um, but the important thing is that, that after you're gone, your beneficiary must file an affidavit of acceptance with the county clerk's office um, with a copy of the death certificate attached within nine months of your date of death. Otherwise, you're back in probate, so it reverts back to your estate if it's nine months in one day, we're in probate. Um, and we're actually doing a probate right now where that exact thing happened. The family knew there was a transfer on death deeds, so they didn't worry about it, and they waited too long, um, and so we couldn't file the affidavits, and now we're having to go through probate for that. So that's why, you know, designating beneficiaries can work, but it's not, you know, not 100% of the time. So if someone, let's say they don't, they don't have children or they don't want to leave their property to their children, they're leaving it to a charity or something like that, and they haven't told that charity that they did a transfer on death deed, how does the charity find out? Or would they even find out? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay. The, the, the person so. representative should be the one to notify them. Right. Because when we're, the process of probate for the, for the personal representative is to marshal in all the assets right. and examine title and things like that. So they, those become, if they know what they're doing, they should be the one that discovers that and they would notify the charity or whoever the third party is. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, same with uh, like life insurance, if you've named beneficiaries on that. 
if that beneficiary doesn't know and they don't know to call the insurance company, that insurance company isn't checking the obituaries to send out money. They're going to keep your money. Which is why we have that unclaimed <laughs> property thing in the right. journal record every once in a while, right? So, um, you know, just be aware of that too. So, you know, that's beneficiaries. That's good. Better it would be doing that and having a will, okay? So if you do a will and your powers of attorney, um, we do, you know, in our office we do everything as a package, so we're gonna make sure you have all of your documents that you would need for while you're alive and then also at your death, so um, healthcare documents and all those things. So doing that plan with a will, that way you've designated who you want to be your personal representative and who's supposed to get your assets and then also do the other planning uh, with your beneficiaries. That way we're, we're trying to avoid probate, but if we don't, then we have our backup plan as our will, which would have to go through probate, okay? So that would be my better plan. And then the best plan would be to have a fully funded trust. So what Curtis said earlier about doing a trust can avoid probate and it works really well so long as all of the assets are transferred into the trust during your lifetime. Um, and with that trust, we also do a what's called a pour-over will, P-O-U-R, and that will says, I leave everything to my trust. So that if something does get left out of the trust, it would have to go through probate, but the will would put it back into the trust um, so that it would get distributed according to those provisions. So that's the best plan, um, and you know, when I've, I've had, of course, both experiences with clients when they come in, you know, and say, you know, mom or dad passed, and they, they have a trust, and we look at it, everything's in a trust, it's very easy. They can take care of things without ever having to go to court, um, and the process is pretty simple. There's always gonna be paperwork you have to do, whether you're in court or out of court, but it's a much easier process than if we're having to go uh, through the probate process. Curtis? Can I, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna hover over the joint tenancy deal. And Jennifer touched it, but I'm gonna just kind of put it into a real world scenario. Imagine that your solution for avoiding probate is that a husband and wife put their home into joint tenancy with right survivorship. In the real world, in fact, I'm dealing with it right now, although it doesn't involve probate, but husband dies late October 2020, wife dies in March. You cross your fingers in that scenario that between end of October and end of February that she's gone in or the survivor has gone in and revised their will. Otherwise, well, not just revised their will, but either, either added someone to be a joint tenant if they like single child or charity or whatever, um, or that they've done some advanced planning because you've got to kind of hit the reset button when that happens and then you've got to, your plan changes completely. You've gone from a married couple to a single person. Um, so joint tenancy no longer is going to be successful in, in avoiding probate. So well, joint tenancy can work, but it's not, a, it's, it's, not a, it's not the final fix. So Let me add another question mark to that. It isn't probate specific, but the joint tenancy uh, right of survivorship with a spouse and the spouse has dementia. Right. So, the yeah. So the, the other surviving spouse. Surviving spouse, right. Yeah. The other reason a trust works well is that it 
So a will only speaks at your death, right? It's not gonna, a will doesn't do anything for you if you're incapacitated. But if your assets are owned by a trust and you become incapacitated, the person, the trusted person that you've named as trustee or the corporate trustee that you've named can step in and manage things, again, without having to go through um, the court process. So if somebody's incapacitated and there's no trust and there's no powers of attorney in place, yeah, you're gonna go have to go back to court and get appointed as that person's guardian in order to manage their affairs. So that's, you know, that's also important to think of. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're gonna step away from the probate for just a second because we kind of have touched on the trust issue, right? You can create a trust to avoid probate. There's one more question mark that a lot of people have which is what Jennifer just alluded to, who is your trustee? If you're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and meet with Jennifer or my attorney of choice, and I'm gonna develop a trust, we're gonna fund the trust by putting all of our assets in it. Now, who is going to be the trusted person in charge of that trust in the event that you can no longer manage it yourself for whatever reason? And so Curtis, why would you say most people uh, the people who do utilize a corporate trustee, like what you guys do, why do they do that as opposed to, say, their kids or uh, someone else? Well, I, you know, I, I think there's, you know, everybody's got a different reason for doing that. Sometimes they might not have someone that they trust to do it or a child who's capable of doing it. Um, sometimes when we're looking at someone's estate plan and they've named their eldest child to be the trustee, or the, the personal representative for that matter, um, if I'm getting a chance to visit with them and kind of, we, we go through this process, we call it profiling, but in the best sense of the word, um, I'll ask the questions, tell me about your son or your daughter, tell me about where they are, tell me about their marriage, tell me about, you know, tell me how you feel about them, because my question will inevitably be, if that wasn't your child, is that who you want handling your final affairs? Because it's gonna be complicated. But then also you get into the situation where you've got multiple children who mom and dad, when they're around, the kids might get along. But I can tell you, in over 20 years of doing this, when the, you, you'll find out who was the glue for the family or who was the center of that, who was the nucleus of that family. And when they're gone, things change. People change. Their colors come out. So, you know, settling a, settling in a state, whether it's through probate or just termination of the trust, is emotional. It is complicated. It is stressful. Um, if you thrive on people second guessing you, you need to do what I do for a living because you're going to get a lot of that. Um, if you thrive on people telling you how to do your job, you should do what I do because that's what everybody in the family is going to be doing more often than not. So what people do in my world, we we we. In a perfect world for me, I get to know my clients well in advance. They're in, you know, in the in the peak of their working and, and social life, and, and everything is really going well. So we're kind of helping them do the planning, so that when the day comes that they're either not able to do it or anything of that sort, um, we've already kind of hit the ground running a little bit. But, but the truth is, the the people hire us when they come to the realization that a it's not costly to hire a, 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 a professional fiduciary and i can go into detail but i don't think this is the time and place 
But the other part is it's really a relief from the family. And then when you talk about the average time to get uh, a probate completed or a trust resolved, settled, if it's terminating, I'll put my, you know, my track record against any individual and tell you we'll get it done faster, less with less cost and with less error. And the other part is if there is an error, I'll, you know, like I say I, our best to be the one covering that that error or, or omission. The individual wouldn't necessarily be the one doing that. So they, they do it because it's you're hiring a professional to do. Again, using the medical analogy. I always tell people 6% of the uh, British population does their own dental procedures on themselves because of their socialized medicine. You don't want to be that person. Wow. Oh, that's a terrible image. All I can think of is the movie Hangover. Have you seen people? Uh, okay, so I, I, wanted, I want to give you a personal scenario, and this isn't a commercial for Arbes or for Jennifer's group. It's just a it's just a caveat because we not only from a business perspective do we see this every day we see it in our own lives we have um, I'll just my stepdad you know I've talked about him in the past he's uh, he has a mental health issue and he is good for a while and then not good for a while and so as a result when he's not good um, someone has to help him and step in and I became that person a couple of years ago because it was a major crisis. Uh, he has two children from his, his second marriage. Um, after my mom passed away, he remarried. His kids are the same age as my kids. They're young. So he's got one that's 25, one that's 27, I think now. And they're great kids, but they're kids still. They don't really understand how to deal with all this. Well, so. Uh, my stepdad's estate, um, because he inherited some money from his family when they passed, is fairly significant. And I, I was asked, do you want to be the trustee on his estate? And I was like, uh, no way. No way. Could I do it? Absolutely. Do I think I could do an effective job of it? Yeah, but you know who I'm going to end up not being in relationship with if that happens? The kids who I love dearly and want to maintain a relationship with. So I called Curtis. I said, look, I said, I need you to, to provide some advice. Um, and so we, as a family, met with him and their team. And I recommended to my stepdad and to my step-siblings that we have a corporate trustee. And I laid out all the reasons why. And then I basically said, and by the way, if we don't do this, I'm not doing it. So this isn't a, if they don't, if you don't do this, I'll do it. This is a, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so we need an alternative, okay? Fast forward, um, it's been a godsend because they manage it, but like Curtis said, he actually has probably a closer relationship with my stepdad than I do because he he stays in relationship with them and my, my step-siblings. So, I think when my stepdad asked, the first question he asked me was, is how much is this going to cost? And I said, well, I said, that's a question we'll ask them, but whatever it is, we're paying it. And he goes, well, what if it's expensive? I said, I can promise you it will not be as expensive as me doing it. <laughs> I mean, that's how adamant I was about it, right? So it wasn't, I didn't allow him to say whatever the cost of it is, we're not going to do it because he would. He'd say he, he's cheap. He'd say we're not paying that. 
But the deal was, you know, I, I really need you to know that this isn't an option. So as a family, I think sometimes families come together, and I have one family member on a different side of the family that has said, we're not doing corporate uh, trust management because of the cost. These people have more money than God. There is no amount of money that they could spend that would cause a problem for their estate, and, and I don't understand why they think that, that paying that a little amount of money is not worth it because I can tell you it will salvage relationships is what it'll do. Well, I'd say the same thing about the legal preparation. You know, you see ads for legal zoom out there and all the you know, all these different places where you can do it yourself. I always tell the story about when I was working in Texas because I had a gentleman approach me and said, Oh, I you know, I, I wrote my own trust, I wrote my own will. I said, This is the guy I went to church with, I said, Let me read that document and it was a mess. And I said, why did you do that? He goes, well, first of all, it's not that hard to do. <laughs> and second of all is, you know, and everything you want is on the internet, right? And the other thing is, I saved a lot of money by doing it. But as I read that document, I said, Ray, this is a train wreck. And the punch list is, Ray was retired from NASA, so we're talking about a rocket scientist who did this. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the pay me now, pay me later, and also that you get, you know, nothing's free in this life. If you get it done right by competent attorneys, it, it's going to save you in the long end. And then when it comes to the execution, I don't want this to sound like an advertisement because I have plenty of people I sit down with and I'll say, and I'll tell them at the outset, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a CPA, I'm a trust officer, I manage trust. And at the end of the day, I'm also gonna tell you whether you need me or someone like me or if there's a better solution for you. And it might be that joint tenancy. And to this day, I feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I work for a, an organization that allows me to do that because I don't have to you know I don't have to sell everyone I don't have to win everything at all in fact I'll, I'll tell this and then I'll quit talking but Jim Walton who's the, the family member that of the Waltons that kind of runs our bank first time I met him it was a long story but his punchline was Curtis don't ever apologize for doing the right thing for your customer and that's that's important because if we don't have an emotional tie to it we could have a financial one, but we don't want that to be a burden. Um, so the point of that is, there's a lot of people out there say you can do it and you can do it cheaper, but you get what you pay for. And if something goes wrong, you're on your own. So I would never suggest to someone. I've had people plenty of times say, "Would you? You know, I'm going to do my my will on LegalZoom." I said, "I think that's a terrible idea, but it's better than nothing, maybe." But I can lead, and I can introduce you to an attorney who could separate you from about five figures in fees, but that's needless too. I can introduce you to someone who's going to do that at a very modest cost, and I can prove to you, or I can tell you with conviction, that it's worth every penny when you do that. So, okay. So, end of, end of commercial. And, and it is kind of a commercial, but not a sales pitch. I guess let me put it this way um, you can use whoever you want to, that's your choice. There are a lot of people who've come to us and said, Nikki, we don't know who to use. So that's why we put people up here on the panel so that you can kind of get a feel for their style and personality and then decide for yourself who you want to use. All right, they're not, she's not attached to it, nor am I attached to it. We want you to be comfortable. Okay, so we're gonna go to questions at this stage, if you're ready. Okay, so I'm gonna just field questions and then I'll pass them off after I repeat them so that everybody at home can hear what's being asked. Okay, so I'm gonna start here and then I'll come back there. Yes? Part of it is a question and part of it is a statement. I just finished my third will, complete the whole entire package, now that I'm back in Oklahoma. Because if you have wills in other states, Oklahoma doesn't recognize them. 
and that's what I found out. So moving back here. Okay, so hold that thought. Let me ask the attorney to tell me if that's true for the people at home, okay? So the comment was she's redone the third will because you've lived in different states. Right. And in Oklahoma, the comment is that Oklahoma doesn't recognize a will from another state. Is that accurate? Well, not entirely. So every, like I said before, every state is different. And so each state has different laws as far as how the wills have to be executed. But we also have full faith and credit. So if your will was validly executed in the, in the other state, Oklahoma is going to recognize that as a valid will. So it would be a valid will in Oklahoma. If you didn't get it updated, it's, it's okay. It's still a valid will in Oklahoma. I do tell my clients, you know, people come in, they're like, well, I might move in two years. Am I going to have to redo all this? No, you don't have to redo all of it. But what I would do is I would help connect you with another, you know, competent attorney in the area where you're moving to. And you should visit with them and see if you need to update some of your documents. The wills and the advanced directives for health care are very state specific because our statutes say this is how it's supposed to be. So typically those are the two that need to be updated and then a lot of times the trust may need to be just amended to reflect the laws of that state instead of Oklahoma. Um, but yes, Oklahoma will recognize a will as long as it was validly executed in the in the other state. But here's here's and I'll throw this in here just as a as a great example where it could be that could be very good. Yes, but, and that is imagine you've got, uh, you've moved to Oklahoma, but you've got a Texas will. Texas is a community property state where they have independent administration. We don't have that. So the probate court here is not going to allow for independent administration, and you're still going to have language in your document that, that addresses forms of ownership that aren't recognized in the state of Oklahoma either. California is another example. We've got numerous community property states. And the document's going to say, near the end, it's going to say this, this, this estate will be administered under the laws of Texas when you're an Oklahoma resident. Sometimes that's favorable, sometimes that's unfavorable. But why, you know, why run that risk? Yeah, so their points are kind of addressing what you said. There's reasons why you had them redone uh, so that they would be accurate for Oklahoma. Okay, all right, keep going. I do want to be in control of how I do this. Sure. Because I was unfortunate in that I had to take over both of my parents and do this, and I didn't want to do that to my kids. Yeah. And so I've done this now, I have it all. But to me, not have, being alive and not having a will is like having a house without insurance. Yeah. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to your yeah, so, so the, that so the question that she's asking doesn't make sense. Why would you be alive and not have a will? And I can address that if you want me to from a psychology standpoint. Um, it's called denial. Uh, it, is, it is literally called denial. There are people who will not do it because it requires them to face their own mortality. It requires them to recognize that they are going to die. And some people are just not able to do that. Then the other second reason is cost. Just simply, I'm not paying somebody to do that. My kids will figure it out. And to me, that is the irresponsible part of, of doing that. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And how many of you, by, by survey of hands, how many of you have had to uh, close out the estate for someone else? Raise your hand. 
when I become aware of a client's passing, first thing I do, not literally, but professionally, the first thing we try attempt to do is we go try to secure the assets. In other words, we've got a duty, if we're named in the will or even in the trust, if we're named in that document, I'm not going to wait until I get appointed by the court to secure the property. We've got sort of a tongue-in-cheek old line that, that uh, uh, property sprouts legs when someone passes away, things start disappearing. So if there's been a caregiver in the home, if there's been a family member, you know, one of four children who's been going in there and helping, I'm gonna call them and let them know, say, listen, you need to stop entering the house. I'm gonna have a rekey. I'm gonna pay the expense and I'll hold on to the receipt till later but we're gonna secure that property because I've got a duty, because I know that we've been appointed, I've got a duty to protect the estate. So we go in, and, and the other thing I get from the family members is what do we do, what do we do? And we're talking 24 hours after mom or dad or you know, someone has passed away, and I tell them nothing. There's nothing that has to be done right now because the one thing they need to do is, is kind of decompress and, and go through the emotional cycle because that's gonna be good for them. And the other thing is, you don't want to be making uh, big decisions when things are that emotionally charged. So, like Jennifer said, we'll get together on your time when you're ready for it. But don't worry about anything. Just secure it, maintain the status quo. What will happen is when the bank finds out that uh, the, the, the account owner has passed, they'll freeze the account. Which also means that outstanding checks will get bounced. But that's okay. We're not worried about someone's credit score anymore. Um, so from, so a real, from a real estate standpoint, you know, you mentioned administratively. She spoke legally, you spoke administratively. I'm going to speak from the real estate standpoint. Please secure the pets. Take care of the pets. Please take care of the pets. And if you're going to liquidate something, clean out the fridge and the freezer. Yeah. If, if you want to clean, clean the fridge and the freezer because those things, uh, later when we go to open those up, God forbid the electricity goes off, um, the, if you really love your realtor, just clean out the fridge. That, that would be great. Yeah. Well, Chris? Well, we've got a couple questions online about cost. Cost. So, kind of cost, of, kind of a standard cost to set up a trust. And then where does that rank to doing a probate? Okay, so um, the questions uh, from online folks, the cost of setting up a trust and then a range of costs on probate. And they may not have the handout yet because Naomi's emailing that to the folks online. Um, but do you want to address kind of a range of what somebody could expect for an uncontested probate versus and then what it would cost to maybe set up the full-blown re uh, retirement planning with the trust? Sure. So we, and I can just really speak to what our firm does and I can tell you that our prices are in line with other, other firms in the area. Um, for probate matters, we handle those on an hourly fee basis. So, and the reason for that is because there are so many things that can happen in the probate that it's you know nearly impossible to, to try and do a flat fee for, for probate. Um, we typically have a $1,500 retainer, um, and then we bill hourly. My hourly rate is $265 an hour. I have an associate attorney that's $225 an hour. And then we bill our legal assistants at $100 an hour. So uh, the legal assistants do as much of the drafting as they can, but obviously they can't go to court and do those things. So, And then there are a lot of costs as far as um, publication fees. You know, we mentioned publication fees. With the newspapers, there's a filing fee for the probate, which is about $200. 
Um, there's a fee to, if you're gonna sell property, and that's around $74, I think. They change the amounts every year. Um, and so a typical uncontested full probate process, I would say the range would be between five to 7,000. But it's real easy for it to go higher than that. So it, it also depends on how much the client wants us to do and how much they're going to do on their own. So if we're filling out the paperwork and notifying all the banks and doing all that, then it's going to cost more. If the client wants to take that on as the personal representative and do those things, then um, it would save some legal expense, but it's obviously going to take up their time to do that. Okay, so again, devil's advocate. Um, let's say someone's parents pass, they have a modest estate. Um, the person themselves, who is the personal representative, is really broke. Broke, broke, broke. They can't come up with 1500 bucks to retain you guys. Is that money, that 1500 is that an estate expense, or is that the personal representative's got to come up with that $1,500? Um, yes, the personal representative's going to need to come up with that money. So we don't, our firm, you know, won't handle probate in the hopes that we're going to get paid out of the probate assets. Now, the personal representative can get reimbursed for anything that they pay out of their pocket. Um, and then once they get, are able to get access to the estate funds, they can, they can pay the legal fees out of those funds. But the court has to approve all attorney fees in a probate. So if I have a client, I need to know, you know, are you paying me, is this from your personal funds, or are you paying me from the estate funds? If it's from the estate, I have to hold it in our trust account until I get the court to approve our fees. So that's important. All right, and so here's another real world example to add to that. So to, to open the probate, you're gonna have to come up with $1,500. You'll pay out of pocket or put on a credit card. What about the burial expense? Anybody plan a funeral lately? So, and, and funeral homes are wanting to get paid pretty quickly too. They're not going to wait. So that's another, another issue that that can you know come come into play for you as well. Well, and that's usually what we hear from families saying the reason they need to get the home sold is they're using the equity from the home for the burial expenses. And so a lot of times families are having to delay their burial uh, or memorial service until the home can be sold. Again, another reason that all this advanced planning is so uber important. Um, we didn't talk about the the cost of creating a trust potentially. So. Okay, and then I'll just touch real quickly on like the summary administration probate. Those I can do on, we do those on a flat fee because that, you know, if we're going to handle it as a summary administration, I've already gone through and asked all the questions and we're sure that it's not going to have any of these complications come up. So we do those for 3500 So summary administration would be for 3500 But it's only, you know, very narrow circumstance that we can do those summary administration probates. And then for, um, as far as our estate planning, we do all of our estate planning flat fee. Um, so that means, you know, the price, what we tell you is what it's gonna cost. For an individual, our trust estate plan package is 2750, so 2750. And then for a married couple, it's 3750. Um, and that, 
includes the trust, the wills. Um, we make sure your real property is transferred into the trust, so that's included in that price. Okay, hold that thought. Guys, I, I will tell you that that right there is worth the $2,700 or something because there are attorneys who will do it on the cheap and only to find out later you have a document but it was never funded. Well, you're paying you're paying for that will up front, which I don't know if you some some attorneys won't do just a simple you know just a straightforward will because they want to be able to give them the, not, not because they want more a, a larger fee uh, fee bill. They want to make sure that they do the proper plan right. for them. Yeah. But yeah. those who will do just a will, it may be three fifty, five hundred, seven hundred dollars. So there's there's a few more checks that are being written along the way too. Yeah, and it includes your. Um, Health care documents, the power of attorney, advanced directive, HIPAA authorization, and a general power of attorney. We also do an affidavit of disposition of remains. We'll go back to the cartoon so that you can say if you want to be buried or cremated, not creamed. Or creamed. Sauteed. Um, <laughs> and who's going to be in charge of making those arrangements. So all those things, you know, would be included in that. That flat fee. What? Yes, sir. Special needs trust. Yes. Special needs trust. Yes, it does vary. So, um, a lot of times, if I'm doing like we've, I've done a lot of special needs planning recently. If we're doing that along with the the other planning, um, you know, we don't we don't charge a lot extra for that. It depends on if we're doing a standalone special needs trust or if it's going to be within the re revocable trust that you're doing, you know, as far as how much that would be in you addition to that. Huh? Within the trust. Um, you know, it wouldn't be a lot more. But yeah, the fees that I quoted are, are for our basic plans. If it's more complex planning, um, special needs planning, charitable, you know, some more complex charitable planning, then, you know, obviously our, our fees will be higher than that. And here's what I would say, guys. If, if you know that you have special circumstances, I think when you call them and you let them know that, I'm sure she could probably ask you a series of questions to the degree how complicated is it, and she could give you a range probably. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, okay hang on. I, got I, I think the big point to take out of that is doing a trust up front is significantly less than doing a probate later. Yeah, so to reiterate what Chris said, doing a trust up front is significantly less costly than trying to do a probate later. Um, and it, sure. it's also planning for your incapacity, which, um, you know, obviously if you don't do any planning, um, then you don't have any planning for to avoid probate, but also for your incapacity. And if you just do a will, you're not planning for your incapacity, but um, a trust and those powers of attorney would would help in that event. Yeah, you guys, I can't. We cannot overstate the whole incapacity thing. And if COVID has taught us nothing, it should have taught us that everyone should have an estate plan of some sort with a durable power of attorney and the health care uh, directive. Because I had a lady call me, bless her heart. Her aunt was in an assisted living, and she couldn't get all of her. And she didn't know where she was, she didn't know what was going on, she couldn't get a hold of her. And because she didn't have a power of attorney, nobody could tell her. She called us the assisted living, but because of all the rules and regs, they can't tell her. Come to find out, the aunt was had COVID and was in the hospital on a vent. 
And this lady could do nothing, nothing, even though she was considered her primary caregiver because she had no legal documents in place. And that is mortifying to me. Yes, Ms. Betty? Um, you went to, when you eventually asked that, like, the legal rights and everything, uh, what about time shares? Have you uh, come across anything that we, we need a separate class on timeshares. <laughs> is timeshare, is it considered real property? I'll, I'll give you the lawyer answer. It depends, but it really does depend. So some timeshares are deeded timeshares, so it's, that is real property. And so if you have a timeshare in Arkansas, North Carolina, Florida, wherever, and it's a deeded property that would require probate um, in that state at your death. Now there are some timeshares now that are points, you know, so that's not going to be deeded and, you know, timeshares can quite frankly be a nightmare to deal with. I know, but you know, the other thing you mentioned the word pour something. Pour over. Pour over. Pour over. And I didn't understand what you said about Okay. So that's, um, when we do trust planning, you know, for for people included in that would be a pour over will, P-O-U-R. Um, it's a will, just like a regular last will and testament. The difference is that it, the beneficiary under that will is your trust. So it says, I leave everything that I own at my death to Betty's trust, you know. Okay, do you think it's important that anytime you do your will, if there's anything involved in something outside the state where you did your will that you should consult your attorney or whatever to see if you need to make some changes? Sure. So, um, you know, if you, if you own property in more than one state, you know, really a trust is going to be the best plan because if you, if you just have a will and you own property in multiple states, that will mean probate in multiple states. Um, so then you can multiply that number I gave you times those number of states. Um, but yes, if you are acquiring property in another state, it would be good to consult your attorney and ask if you need to make any changes. Even if the beneficiaries are outside of the state? So if, if I'm in Oklahoma and all my beneficiaries live in several different states, would that cause a problem? No, that wouldn't cause a problem, yeah, if your beneficiaries are in other states. Yeah, it doesn't matter where your beneficiaries are, it matters where the property is, right? Okay, yeah. All right, so one last question, and then we're going to call it a day. Anybody? Yes, ma'am? I have a trust. Uh, Mr. Kane, uh, after my husband passed, I became sole trustee. I named my daughter as a co-trustee, so I have, and I have successors. After I pass, can she just continue on with this trust, or does she have to... Uh, uh, and all of the uh, stocks and bonds and stuff and so can she just continue this on when so, i went to trust school the first thing they put on the board was rt rtd read the document no two documents are the same so i can't answer that question without seeing your documents some okay. some trust documents are purely a probate avoidance technique that's that's the only purpose that someone has gone to the trouble of doing that trust is to avoid probate in maybe in multiple states or even in one state because it's it's quick but some will be perpetual 
virtually perpetual. They even have rules against them being perpetual. But the idea is, it's going to outlive me, it's going to outlive my kids, and either for my grandchildren. So it depends. It depends on what the document says. Jennifer, I also noticed that sometimes people will tell me, like, they're a co-trustee, or they're a, and the terminology they're using isn't always what's written in the trust. So a literal co-trustee on a trust, if the if the one of the people pass away, in this case her or her daughter, either one passes away on a trust co-trustee, does the other person automatically become the trustee, or is that a trust document issue? And be specific to the document, like Curtis said. So a lot of times we will have clients that will, um, you know, add a child as a co-trustee to serve with them um, and. The trust document would say, you know, can that child who's a co-trustee, can they sign independently for the trust? So you have to ask all these questions. So if we're, if we're adding a child as a co-trustee, typically it's because the person wants that child to be able to help them manage the trust and they would be able to sign things independently of them. And then, you know, the trust would say, okay, if, if I, the trust creator, die, um, is that person going to serve as the sole trustee? You know, the, the co-trustee, would they now be sole trustee? Or am I going to have somebody step step up and be co-trustee with them? Um, so the trust document would say what happens. And then, you know, like Curtis said, the trust would say whether it's going to continue on, where the um, trust would give instructions as far as what distributions can be made to the beneficiaries or if it's just supposed to be distributed outright to the beneficiaries. And what I would say is if you if you are named as the trustee, you need to make sure that you read that document because um, it is a fiduciary role and you have duties to the beneficiaries. And, um, you know, it's really easy to expose yourself to liability if you don't understand the document and what you're what your duties are so I had that you know with with my family I had a family member two sisters that were co-trustees who couldn't agree on anything and it was very very divisive and one of the sisters called me and said here's what the other sisters doing and so on and so forth and I said okay here's the deal you guys are liable you are liable for what happens with those assets and in that trust because you are the trustees and she goes what do you mean and I said well if she screws up you guys as trustees are liable and she goes I didn't know that and I'm like yeah uh, you need to talk to somebody besides me about this an attorney because you guys are potentially setting yourselves up for a lawsuit by the heirs because you're not taking care of the assets of the estate so keep that in mind you guys you're really when you're naming a trustee that person needs to know what that means for them and the same would apply to a personal representative in a probate. That's also a, a fiduciary role, um, and they have a duty to the beneficiaries of the estate, and they need to understand what that what that job is and, and what the responsibilities are. So, okay, guys, let's give them a hand. Give them a wonderful round of applause. I do have, I do have one more qualitative tidbit I'm going to share because it, it caught me flat. Sorry, I didn't mean to leave hanging. If you do have a trust and you do have your home in your in your trust, you need to make sure your insurance lists the the, the, the trust as either an owner of the policy or a lost payee. I'm actually probating a, a, a property claim 
from a hailstorm in Norman because the decedent owned the insurance policy and was the only lost payee, and she's passed away, and it's a very large claim. So you could avoid, that's another probate avoidance yeah, technique, is make sure that any any potential claim, just, I'm talking Carol, because we're talking about real estate today, make sure your homeowner's policy lists your trust if your trust is the owner of your property. I'll add to that that there was a recent court of appeals case in another state where the insurance company denied a claim because the um, estate made the claim and the estate wasn't listed on the policy and it got upheld on appeal and so I'm telling all of my trust clients to add your trust to your insurance policy because we do not want to give the insurance companies a reason to deny a claim. So. Well, that right there was worth the price of admission. All right. So, do you guys need another round of applause? Yeah. All right. So, uh, so both of them will be over here at this first table. So, if you want to go over and pick up their card or their brochure and schedule an appointment, they will both do free consultations. A free consultation does not mean a full review of your trust. It means a consultation about what you need, and then you can talk about what the cost would be associated with that. Okay, two quick housekeeping items. You have an evaluation form at your table. Please fill it out and give it to Jim and tell him happy anniversary when you leave. And then the gift. How many of you have been through? You guys can go ahead and go to that table if you want to. As people walk out, they're going to visit with you. You. Oh, Curtis says they do do full reviews of trusts, no strings attached, and no charge. So his department at Arbus does do that. Okay, good. That's good to know. All right, uh, the gift. How many of you have done the gift? Raise your hand. A few. Not very many. Guys, if you have not done your estate planning or if you have, the gift that is offered by Villages OKC, one of our, our education partners, they literally walk you through a lot of the things we talked about today in terms of who's going to be in charge of my life and so on and um, it also gives you automatic membership to the villages when you do that i want to just say to those of you who are still in the downsizing process we have two club memberships available open now we have we were full now we have a couple of openings because the players graduated yay and the Gunnersons graduated yay so we've got two openings for people that want to join the downstairs club and then don't forget about shredding and last but not least next month guys we're changing things up a little bit we're going to talk about living actively and independently whether you move or age in place it doesn't matter we're going to be talking about your senior living options and how to stay active and independent have a great day you guys appreciate you